You're listening to Employment Law with host Howard Levitt on the Bell Talk Radio Network. And good afternoon across Ontario. I'm Ian Grant. Thank you for joining us. Bell Talk Radio Network, delighted to have Canada's top and most winning employment lawyers taking your calls, offering the best employment law advice available in the country. Levitt LLP, the most experienced employment law practice in Canada. Howard Levitt is live in studio this afternoon. Howard, there are employers listening. There are employees listening. Look at these phones. Uh, If you are going to call, call soon. I'll give you that. Let me give you the phone numbers right now because they are filling up fast. uh, Toll-free across Ontario, 877-518-5151 and locally, 416-872-1010. Employers and employees listening, what kind of questions do you think they should have if they're just sitting at home listening to the show right now? How much am I going to get? (laughs) Am I going to get fired? How do I get rid of this intractably difficult employee who my lawyer tells me I can't get rid of without paying Mm. a fortune? Generally, that advice is wrong. There are ways of getting rid of people (laughs) without paying a fortune. There's lots of ways, actually. depends on the circumstance, but there's always a few ways. Um, I'm being harassed at work. What do I do? An employee claims they're being harassed at work. Are they? What legal remedies, what liability do I have as an employer? There's not a single person listening who doesn't have some who is an employee, an employer, which is about 98% of the population, is people who think their contractors aren't who doesn't have some issue that's concerning them right now. Week in, week out, we have employers call, and I'm always amazed at how complicated they assume your your answer or their situation is going to be. They always seem to think that it's going to be a lot more difficult to solve their problems than it is, and you can almost hear the relief in their voice You know, when you start explaining to them that they do have rights, that they do have ways to go. Is that the same during the week with calls you get at the office? Well, at this point in my career, Ian, I probably dealt with over 100,000 situations. Maybe it's 200,000. I haven't counted. And there's really not, not much new under the sun. So people either think it's too simple or too complex. Mm. More often, they think it's too complex, as, you, as you've ex- ex- just talked about and have seen exhibited here. But it's not. There's nothing that can't be broken down to its simple legal dimensions and with simple solutions that have been found to work. Hmm. And and one of the things, I mean, I keep coming back to it, but it was a call that really stuck with me. An employer called and was just, you could hear the fear in his voice because one of his employees had decided to sue him for, quote, a million dollars. And he, he, was, he was at a loss as to what to do. And, it, you know, honestly, I felt as good as he did by your response to well, his I could, question. Well, I don't recall the call and you can imagine it was, a, calls it was a simple and all I'm saying is this it might well have been a small claims court case that somebody right. wrote a million dollars on and, and stupidly sued in general <laughs> division right. because the problem is if you have a case worth under 25,000 and you get less than 25,000 but you've sued in general court superior court not in small claims court you will be punished severely hmm. in costs at the end specifically you'll get no costs the other side will have you've had discoveries, you'll have mediation, you'll have rung up a very significant amount of costs. And because you're only suing for 25000 one thing I can guarantee you, your costs will be higher than your recovery. Wow. wow. If, and in general court, you do need a lawyer. Well, theoretically, you could do it yourself, but there's so many tricks that you, you effectively can't. I had a case last week where an employee self-represented in Alberta and um, didn't know how to ask a single question. Oh. Everything they asked... I had witnesses coming up and testifying in the most damaging ways about this employee's behavior and conduct. 
What did he ask in cross-examination? Nothing about the conduct, nothing about what they talked about, minor little issues that might have affected on their credibility about some inconsistency three years ago unrelated to the case at all. Yeah. Uh, and if it had been a lawyer, the arbitrator would have ruled it um, unadmissible, the questions, because wow. it, it was irrelevant. The questions were all irrelevant because he was self-represented. They gave mm -hmm. him some leadway, which they tend to do. Sometimes they go a little overboard and almost act as an advocate for the employee. Had that happened not that many months ago in Montreal, and some way through the trial, I said, you've gone too far, and I'm asking you to recuse yourself from the case sure. because you become an advocate, not a, a neutral arbitrator. And I got him kicked off the case. He just felt so bad for the, uh, for well, the other Well, I, I guess he did. Yeah. And wow. So, too, too, too many people watching Law & Order and Judge Judy, I guess, figure. that's Those are the rules. I could do that. Um, the but, lines but, are you know, filling Even up. some Amazing. lawyers who don't have much court experience don't know how to cross-examine. <laughs> well, I, I mean, especially in your world where, what, 1% of cases make it to court? I, that's less than that. I've yeah. had one lawyer who, uh, is, as these things go, is reasonably well-known, not, not one of the best-known in my field, but reasonably well-known as my field goes, advertises a lot, and has done appeals. He's never done a trial. I had an arbitration with him. He had no idea how to cross-examine. Wow. Absolutely ineffective. And in cases like that, the employee's better off acting for themselves because... At least they'll get some sympathy. They're not expected hmm. to know how to cross-examine, and it'll be a less balanced dealing with it by the arbitrator because they're self-represented. They'll be giving the benefit of every doubt, but they have weak counsel. They're worse off, and a lot of lawyers just don't know how to cross-examine, which is a skill they don't teach at law school, or at least didn't when I was there, and I doubt they do today, and uh, it's developed through practice hmm. and, of course, some instinctive abilities. Right. But again, the odds are against people getting to the court level anyway. So where are they going to get that practice? Well, they can get it through examinations for discovery. And the other thing that's happening these years with the court pre pressure on everyone to settle cases, partly because of costs and partly because they made mediation as obligatory in the first 180 days, you don't even get to discovery as often as not. Hmm. And lawyers are just rushing to mediation because it's easy to be to do a mediation Insofar as the, if you're not very good as a lawyer, the mediator will do the work for you to try and get the settlement. But of course, there's very different skills in negotiations and mediations too. But it's harder, it's harder to prove yourself or dis or be disproved through mediation. Because you're generally these days the way the mediation is developed, you don't even see the other side. You're sitting in separate rooms. So much of it is psychological, and employees aren't necessarily sensitive to the nuances of that. Uh -huh. So you can't even really evaluate the skill of, the, of counsel. I can, other lawyers can, mm -hmm. but the client can't necessarily because they have no experience with the process anyway. It's not as easy to discern as simply watching a cross-examination. So you can do it at discovery and lawyers should go more often discovery quickly in mm -hmm. a case if they think there's, they can rip apart the other side's story and then put them in a position where at mediation you can show the mediator the transcript and away you go to victory. Before we get to the calls, tip of the week. Oh, the tip of the week is and it comes out of a case I had last week as well. The, if you're an employee, the employer, it's not generally their money. Not the people you're dealing with, it's not their money. Hmm. So they can drag it out for a long time. And my point is, and the tip of the week is, don't do something in the course of litigation 
that's just going to anger and enrage them and make them not want to pay you anything. You'll get, still get your money at the mm-hmm. end. I had a case last week in BC where he had, um, there were some settlement discussions. The person had been offered something and then decides to go to the media with his complaints. Of course, at that point, if the company paid him anything, they were prepared to pay him. He wanted to go away. They were happy to have him go away. That was fine. They're going to give him some money. He ultimately gets fired. But once he's gone to the media, paying him any money right. would justify his complaints. So now we couldn't give him a penny. We went to arbitration, and he's going to lose. He'll get nothing. Or he had some money that was willingly given to him earlier because mm-hmm. he had no case, so he's going to lose. And the case is now about 80% over the arbitration. And there's no doubt in my mind, we've won, he's lost, and he walked away from not a Just bad amount of up. severance. Yeah. yeah, wow. By, by being, doing something stupid that was going to, to upset the other side and put them in a position where they couldn't negotiate with him anymore. So don't, do, don't make that kinds of silly mistakes. <laughs> Think about the fact that the other side are people too, and what you do has consequences. Yeah. 416-872-1010. Toll free across Ontario, 877-518-5151. Uh, where do you want to go? Well, let's go to the first caller of the day of the six. Peter, how can I help you? Hi there. Um, yes, I was just recently let go from my uh, company after, uh, well, it would be 15 years tomorrow, in fact. And um, so what they offered me was uh, continued pay and benefits for eight weeks in lieu of notice. And also, um, after the eight weeks, it would be severance representing 15 weeks of pay, and then, and then also the, you know, any unused vacation pay as well. So I guess my question is, is that a fair settlement after 15 years, or should, is it worth it to pursue getting more? Well, let me say this. I can tell you already that your company has a payroll over, of over $2.5 million, correct? Um, probably, yes. I don't know exactly. Well, they must because what they've given you is precisely the amount you'd be entitled to under the minimum provisions of the Employment Standards Act. Yes. So let me ask you this. You're there 15 years. How old are you and what do you do and what did you earn? Uh, okay. Well, I'm uh, 54 years old. That's good. Uh, I was a business analyst in, in IT and my salary was uh, about 120000 Oh. I would say a court would give you four, probably 16 months pay. They've offered you five months pay. So you could take this and take five months pay, or, or you can proceed and get 16 months pay. Wow. The least any judge would give you, if you get an unsympathetic judge, you present badly, everything goes badly for you, is 14 months pay. 16 months is far more likely. I think 18 months is possible in the same way that 14 months is impossible, but unlikely, 50, it's probably going to be 15 or 16. I, I'd put my guess on 16 that most judges would give you. Okay. So, right. uh, obviously, so, mm. you should retain counsel and yes, get you your should. 16 months, not, yeah. not yeah, take five. Yeah, so I guess that's, I, I, there's a couple of additional questions then. I yes, mean, go ahead. is this time Ta- sensitive? Do I, I have to act right away, right? Well, you don't have, it's not technically time sensitive. But they've reserved a certain amount of money, which I can promise you is more than 23 weeks, and they're going to be 
not ch- and they're going to have a reserve far yeah. more than that. But yeah. if you don't bother suing, then they'll put that reserve somewhere else, and you'll meet more resistance. Peter, write down this number. It's Howard's office number, and it sounds like it's going to come in handy. 416-594-3900. 416-594-3900. All his contact information available on his website, 2 I'm Ian Grant. He's internationally recognized as a leader in the area of employment law and wrongful dismissal. Howard Levitt, the most experienced labor lawyer in Canada, taking your calls across Ontario this hour. You're listening to Employment Law with host Howard Levitt on the Bell Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Employment Law with host Howard Levitt. On the Bell Talk Radio Network. We are across Ontario on this Sunday afternoon, AM 800 CKLW, information station in Windsor, News Talk 610, CKTB in St. Catharines, in-depth radio, News Talk 1010 in Toronto, and News Talk 1290, CJBK in London. Wherever you are listening, we welcome you in, and you can speak to Howard Levitt. Just pick up the phone, call 1-877-518-5151, locally in Toronto area, 416-872-1010. Howard, where do you want to go? Let's go to St. Catharines. David, how can I help you? Yeah, good day, Ian and Howard. Uh, my situation is uh, I turned 65 a couple weeks ago. I've been with the, I'm an employee. I've been with the company uh, five years this month. In May of this year, uh, my boss and the owner came to me and said, you've got a big birthday coming up. Uh, um, what are my plans? And uh, my answer was, well, I would like to continue working and tend to continue working. And as the conversation went on, I indicated, well, I would be uh, consider maybe a reduced work week. A few weeks later, I came back to them with a proposal of four days a week starting in January. A few weeks after that, they came back to me with a proposal of three days a week starting in October. Uh, and then after six months, they'd review the program. My assumption was review whether I'd stay on three days or go back to five. Um, the 19th of this month, they, uh, they hired a new fellow and uh, I started training him to take over my functions uh, as I was supposedly moving into some new roles. Uh, a week ago, I was presented with a, uh, with a letter that said that it was gonna be three weeks starting in October and termination was uh, the end of January. Uh, I said, uh, I certainly couldn't sign it at that point. I came back on Monday of, uh, of this week and uh, said, no, I just, I couldn't accept that. And I was going to carry on working uh, five days a week. Uh, at the end of the conversation, they said they needed to know from me what my r- proposed resignation date was going to be. Now, and uh, is any of this in writing, any of the, any reference to resignation or retirement in writing? Or any Only reference to your age? Uh, up until that point, it was all discussion. And uh, but as of a week ago, when I received this letter, that's a uh, termination of employment in January. So that's really the only letter that I have. But is there any reference in writing to your age or retirement or anything that you could use to prove that there's a link between what's going on right now and you're turning 65? Uh, no, not in this document. That's not, not mentioned. What I would recommend doing is writing back and saying, let's recap what's happened. You came to me in whatever the date was, asking in light of my age and turning and my big birthday, 
what my plans are about retirement. And I was, and you asked, I said, I'm prepared to go to only four days a week, although I'd rather stay full time. And now I seem to be being terminated. That's what I'd write. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they won't deny that conversation. Because talking about retirement or linking termination in any form to your age is a direct violation of the Human Rights Code and gives you not only wrongful dismissal damages, but also damages for human rights violation and potentially even reinstatement. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a lot more rights you'd have if you simply were terminated or any of this happened without it being linked to your age. So that's what I do as a starting point. And at the end of, of course, enunciate and re-enunciate that you want to stay working full time. Mm -hmm. Has he been given working notice with that letter? He probably has, but notwithstanding that, I have to see the exact wording of the letter, but notwithstanding that, I'd write in that way because at the end of the day, that'll allow you to challenge it later on. Wow. Mm-hmm. There you go, Dave. Very if, good. If I you do it. need Howard's contact information, it's available on his website, 2Ts Levitt LLP, or you can give the office a phone call, 416-594-3900. And he might want someone in my firm, myself, or someone, a lawyer, in any event, an employment lawyer, to, to review the letter before, mm-hmm. he, the email before he sends it to make sure it hits all the right notes. Good point. And the facts are all accurate. LevittLLP.com is where all the contact information is. Dave, thank you. Great call. Where do you want to go? Johnny, how can I help you? Hey, uh, I am, uh, I have an uh, agreement, or I have a contract with my uh, employer that says uh, that it, says, it spells out what I'm getting paid. Um, and then it says that there is a bonus, which is at the discretion of the employer, whether or not they're going to pay it. Uh, mm-hmm. And they always do pay it because that's a big part of, of the like annual uh, income. Okay. So you've, um, got it every, you've received it every year and so has everyone else. Yeah. Okay. That means it's an integral part of your, of your remuneration and therefore you are legally entitled to it. So it's usually paid out at, uh, in the middle of January based on the past year's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have two questions. One is, what if I give notice now to leave at uh, December 31st? And what if I give notice now to leave in uh, a month from now? Well, if you, there's no question that if you give notice now to leave whenever the bonus would be paid, you're entitled to it. Even if they tell you to leave immediately, you're still entitled to it because they have to compensate you as if you had been there for that period of time. If, on the other hand, you give notice to leave before the bonus would be paid, then that's a function of what the contract says, if anything. If the contract doesn't say anything, then you'll have worked the year. If it's till December 31, you'd be entitled to it. If the contract says you have to be employed at the time the bonus is paid to be entitled to it, and you yourself, it's not as if you're fired, you yourself give notice to leave before that, you won't have a claim. So depending on the wording of the contract, you might want to intelligently give notice to January 31. Okay, so what happens is it's based on the previous year, so it's December 31st, but it just the accounting gets it out in the middle of January. I understand. Again, it's a function of what the contract says. If the contract says you have to be there to be paid, then I'd give notice till after you'd be paid. If it says it's simply a bonus for the year and makes no reference to having to be there when it's paid, then I would give notice to December 31, so you'll have been there for the whole year and become entitled to it, like everyone else. Okay. There you go, Johnny. What about uh, to leave it December 1st? Would I not be entitled for the whole year? Well, December 1st isn't the whole year. Again, it depends on what the contract says. I don't know if it's pro rata and you'd get 11 twelfths of it or not. Again, it's a function of the contract. 
what, Johnny? The, what the bonus plan is, which, I, which is what I mean by the contract. Great call, and it opens up a line for your call at one 5151 Toll free across Ontario, locally 416-872-1010. Canada's leading authority in employment law, Howard Levitt is on the Bell Talk Radio Network. I'm Ian Grant, the Bell Talk Radio Network, stretching out across Ontario this afternoon. Locally, 416-872-1010 across the province, toll free. Give us a call at 877-518-5151. Internationally recognized as Canada's leader in the area of employment law and wrongful dismissal. Howard Levitt taking your calls this afternoon. Howard, just before the break, we had a caller brought up a great point. And, and, you know, I was thinking about it during the break, and it's just one of those areas where the word contract, just take the time and have a lawyer look at this thing. Well, you asked me three questions, and all of them were, I'd have to see the contract. Mm. And... You can't understand it yourself. You might be able to understand what the words mean in a, in a dictionary Oxford sense, but you won't necessarily understand how it'll be legally interpreted and what the overlay of the court jurisprudence is going to say, because it may be, even if you can make sense of the language simply enough, and if you understand this is what it obviously means, the court may have different overlays. For example, it may say, notwithstanding the actual wording, you get it for the period of notice. Hmm. And if a period of notice would cover this period of the contract and you don't get it, you'll still get it. And that may be as clear as mud, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying the court may give rights beyond what the contract says. So you've got to both be able to understand the contract and how it'll be interpreted, but also understand the impact the law will have on the contract or the contract itself might be void and, might, and you exactly might have additional, say, additional yeah. rights. And that's important for the employers as well as the employees, obviously. So but a lot of employers just use contracts to get from friends or contracts I've had for years, and the law has changed vitally and may have made many of those provisions invalid. Even if So even if you understand them, they may be invalid or have different meanings than a common sense approach would take. I want to get back to the lines because they are jammed. Particularly but, applies uh, in bonuses. Last half hour, we had a caller calling in and his, his employer said to him, so you got a big birthday coming up. And I was, I, I'm still chuckling at the way of... You know, getting around the question, one time we had another caller who, for a job interview, the the interviewer was like, uh, yeah, I've got a couple of kids at home and they're just driving me crazy. And the person being interviewed said, yeah, me too. And they realized at that point, they just admitted that, you know, the lawyer, the, the employer didn't ask if they had kids. They just offered the information up, you know. Well, employees have to be careful what they mm-hmm. say because they don't want to play into employers' biases. It's difficult for women right now who are of child-rearing ages to get jobs. I don't mean particularly difficult, but somewhat difficult sure compared is, yeah. to an equivalent male because they say, well, they're going to be off for a year here, they're going to be off for a year there, they're going to be focused on their kid, they're going to lose their interest in the job to some extent, and it's tough. Some women go as far as to announce their employer they don't intend to have a kid just to try oh, and wow. forestall that. And the employer says, well, she even telling me the truth. Or just trying to get the job. It's tough, but what you don't want to do is actually tell the employer things that might play to that employer's biases. Employers aren't supposed to have biases, but that doesn't mean they don't. Of course not. So yeah. think it through carefully. So you got a big birthday coming up, do you? 416-872-1010-877-518-5151 across the province. Carol, how can I help Hi. you? Hi, Carol. Hi, yes. Um, I want to know if new employees have any rights. Um, I know, you know, they say within three months, you know, 
the employer can dismiss you. Well, who says who says cost. that, Carol? Who says that? Well, that's like what people always say. Well, people are always wrong. Okay, that's good because the thing is, I was hired, okay, and fired in one week, and like okay. I'm saying, I it was it was crazy. the The thing is, um, they told me the reason that they decided to let me go is because I was asking for a break, okay. Um, one day I went in from one, no, from twelve to five, and at three o'clock I said, "Oh, when is when can I have a break?" Because it's a standing job, and I was getting tired. So this is after how many hours? For five hours. After five hours, you asked for break, okay? Yeah. And um, I was told by two people, oh, we're not required to give you a break. And I just thought that was ridiculous. And then I said, well, you know what? I've been waiting to go to the washroom. I need to go. So then I I just left the floor. And then I came back after five minutes. And then the next time I was... Um, in for my next shift, they didn't allow me to work, and they said one of the reasons they're letting me go is because I was insisting on having a break. Okay. You've raised a couple of interesting points, actually, mm-hmm. although you're probably not aware that you've raised a couple of interesting points, but I'll tell you why in a moment. Let me ask mm-hmm. you this. Did you sign a contract with a probationary term in it? Um, I think so. <laughs> Well, do you sign a document that says they have the absolute right to fire you without any notice or severance pay in the first three months? Yes. You did? I think I, I saw that. Um, I'd have to look through the paperwork because I made a full copy of everything. Well, look that... at the paperwork. Okay. Because if you did not sign that, and I'm, yeah. your case is a bit different. I'll just explain why in a moment. If you did okay. not sign that, then it doesn't matter if you're there a week or 10 years. There's no such okay. thing inherently as a three-month trial period. It's only if you agree to that in writing. Oh, okay. And when do you sign the contract, by the way, on your first day of work or well before you took the job or when? Yeah, before I took the job because it said you had to get the, the paperwork signed. You know, they asked you to sign the, the tax forms and everything. So it was like 25 pages of of things I had to Good go grief. through. But well before you actually started, not on your first morning or something. Right, it was before. Mm-hmm. If it was on your first, and, and after you'd given up whatever you had, before you'd given up whatever you had before. Right. Okay. If you'd signed on your first day, it would have been unenforceable. Okay. So it sounds like, again, it depends on what it says. You may want to have someone look at your contract. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they did it right, except for one little thing. Okay. And that is that under the Employment Standards Act, after five hours, the employer must give you a break wow. of at least half an hour. Okay. As a matter of law. Mm-hmm. So actually, you were fired for violating, well, for, for the employer violated your rights under the Employment Standards Act, and you were fired for attempting to enforce your legal rights. You didn't realize that at the time. Mm-hmm. You just right. needed a bathroom break, but that's actually what happened. Mm-hmm. And the fact it was after five hours is meaningful. If after four hours, they could have done it. But after okay. five hours, they can't. In fact, they had to offer you the break themselves of at least 30 minutes. Uh-huh. And by firing you for attempting to enforce your rights under the Employment Standards Act, you have a retaliation complaint under the Act, which is worth far more than anything you would have <laughs> got for suing for wrongful dismissal after a week there. Mm. So okay. actually, you have a very good case. The only argument they could have is they could lie and say it had nothing to do with that and hopefully there's some witnesses to that or they're going to have to come up with another explanation but Mm -hmm. it's unlikely you'd even know your know those rights and you clearly did not know your rights so 
the benefit of the doubt will go to you. The onus of proving that isn't why they fired it will be on them. So you could do very okay. well. Okay. Great call, Carol. Thank you so much. And uh, if you do need Howard's office number, give him a call. His office number, 416-594-3900. You can get all his contact information, 2TsLevittLLP.com. Uh, just quickly, great comment here from Chris in Newmarket. He said that uh, if I was an employee, I'd listen to this program just to get tips on what not to do. That's very smart. Uh, we have a caller, by the way, if you want to look. Uh, we moved him down to 12 because we're having some phone screening issues, just so you know. I'm sorry? Line 12 is one of ours. Oh, so okay. Filled up the phones. Okay, well, I've never had line 12 here before. Exactly. It's all new. I didn't think it was, yeah. Okay, let's let's then go to David. Hello. How can I help you? Hello, line 12. Hi, hi David. <laughs> hi, okay. I'm an employer, and I have a full. I had a full-time employee cashier. Uh, she missed three shifts uh, and gave away some of the other ones, and now I cannot contact her to ask her what her intentions are. So I've emailed her, uh, texted her, left her voice message on her telephone, and left a message on her Facebook page. But right now, I don't know what her intentions are. Can I assume that would be her resignation? Well, what I would do to be certain, I presume she has resigned and is embarrassed and won't even speak to you and is probably working somewhere else right now. But just to be prophylactic about it, what I would recommend doing is writing her a note or emailing her if you have her email address, and saying, if you do not return to work Monday, we'll take that to be your resignation. And when she doesn't show up Monday, write her again and say, you have one more chance. If you don't come Tuesday, we'll take that as resignation. And when she doesn't show up Tuesday, process her resignation. Okay. But this does not sound like the kind of employee you want to keep anyway, yeah, does that's it? that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, she, she did, before she had uh, some mental health issues, before previously so then i let that go and she came back but then now it's starting up again so i just wanted to know what the uh procedure is to to well that to raises a whole series of other issues which we which we which need unfortunately, to address that may, may not be as simple <laughs> as what i've just said if there's mental health issues i'd have to get more information on the mental health issues you have to accommodate those if misconduct is caused by mental health issues mm. you have to give them more opportunity and potentially a psychiatric assessment got to take a require break. that of them okay Got to take a break. You're listening to Employment Law on the Bell Talk Radio Network. He is internationally recognized as Canada's leader in the area of employment law and wrongful dismissal. You can talk to him. Pick up the phone. Call 1-877-518-5151 locally in the Toronto area. 416-872-1010. You're listening to Employment Law with host Howard Levitt. On the Bell Talk Radio Network. I'm Ian Grant. Howard Levitt taking your calls across Ontario this afternoon. AM 800 CKLW Windsor. News Talk 610 CKTB St. Catharines. In-depth radio. News Talk 1010 in Toronto. And News Talk 1290 CJBK in London. If you are listening, you are welcome to give us a call at 877-518-5151. Locally 416-872-1010. Every week, Howard, actually a couple of times, I think three times last week for that matter. Um, Howard Levitt's columns appear in the Financial Post section of the National Post. You can always go to Financial Post or NationalPost.com, do a search for Howard Levitt, and they all come up. Howard, you got a couple of interesting ones that uh, that jumped up, though. Uh, one of my favorite for all the pedals out there, don't confuse nitpicking or snubbing with harassment. And uh, you also uh, took the Ontario government to task, uh, saying uh, pretty much with the uh, proposals that um, they're creating a whole new set of... Uh, of left, uh, left-leaning left policies for well, if they 
if the policies, the policies they put out that were at the extreme are adopted in the Labor Relations Act and the Employment Standards Act, Ontario will actually be the most left wing, have the most left-wing labor legislation in the Western world. Mm. That's how radical it is. It would promote unionization everywhere to all categories of employees mm -hmm. and give the unions bargaining power that are unheard of anywhere else. And on the, on the other side, easier and quicker and cheaper for employees, overtime, after 40 hours, not 44, everybody gets them, even supervisors. Um, employers are responsible for their franchises, for their franchisees, employers for their contractors, violations. If you violate the act, you'll have your driver's license suspended. It, <laughs> it, it goes as well as your operating permit to operate your business suspended. Mm. It goes on and on and on and on and on. I detailed it in the column. but. Mm -hmm. It would, um, one inevitable consequence is that no one will set up shop in Ontario and employers that are here will just say, look, it's not worth the aggravation. This Unless I'm a retail shop and I have to be here, I'm going south of the border for my manufacturing. Yeah, this has been a remarkable year. And I will get to your calls, so stick with me. But this has been a remarkable year for employees with the changes to the federally regulated employees as well. Not, nothing, a scintilla of this level of extremity in hmm. Not even close. There you go. Pick up the, uh, uh, go online and uh, check out the column. You can go to what I do, nationalpost.com. Put Howard Levitt's name in the search box and all his columns appear online. Where would you like to go, sir? Let's go to David. How can I help you, David? Hi there. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Um, so I just gave you a little background of myself um, without giving big names. Um, I've been a customer service rep for about 10 years. Um, I, I give the best customer service, at least that's the letters that come in, um, from numerous customers um, on a regular basis. Um, just recently, I've been given a severance package um, detailing without prejudice. Um, it, it seems very odd that it's just strictly without prejudice. There's no real definition. It's very vague in the whole... Um, well, they have offered you a specific severance package, correct? Yes. And I just happened to call into the HR department and um, they simply said, well, all we're, well, all we're doing is we're giving you the basics. Um, and I just kind of went, well, 10 years at basic for 21 weeks, it seems to be. Um, doesn't seem like it's enough to live on. So I, I, I kind of did the math and it was like, it ends up being about four months of a severance package out of 10 years. I would think they um, gave you 18 weeks. Um, that would be the minimum under the Employment Standards Act after 10 years. Oh, is it? Yes. Okay. So it's probably 18 um, weeks, which is okay. essentially four months in a week. So tell okay. me this. What you're, what were you earning a year, and how old are you? Um, I'm 35. Mm -hmm. um, I got hourly and commission. So Total, with... total earnings is what? Uh, total earnings is anywhere between uh, 33 to 35. Okay. Your age isn't particularly helpful. You're on the young side. Your remuneration is unhelpful because it's not very high. You're there 10 years. You're a CSR taken in a call center? No, in-store rep. Okay. I yeah. would think a court would probably give you six months' pay. They've given you 18 weeks' pay, which is essentially four months' pay. You're entitled to two more months. But okay. given your remuneration... It's not worth suing other than small claims court. Okay. So that's what I do. Now, the okay. wording without prejudice is, is there's two reasons for it. Either they simply put that in all legal letters and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. 
which is common enough, or they're saying, we, we're going to take the position we have cause, so we're offering anything without prejudice or right to assert cause, which is serious misconduct later on. Was there some serious misconduct that resulted in your dismissal? Um, no, it just seems like there was um, multiple uh, let goes at that point. Okay, you're part of a downsizing. Rest. Fair enough. Yeah. So they're not arguing cause. They're probably just putting without prejudice because it's a legal letter. They don't really know what it means, so they're putting on everything. Okay, so it just it's I wouldn't just worry. I wouldn't worry. The, yeah, I would not worry about the wording without prejudice. I'd worry about okay. the amount they offered you. Okay, David. Um, okay, you know, that that answers my question. Thank you very much. And thank okay, you for David. calling. Thank you for calling. Opens yeah. up a line four one six eight seven two ten ten eight seven seven five one eight fifty one fifty one. Howard Stanley, how can I help you? Oh, hi, I'm just calling regarding uh, not being paid uh, on a contract. I was working full-time for an employer uh, in construction. I'd been there over three months. Uh, he had to lay me off for a couple of weeks. The head carpenter said he had work for me. I, I agreed. The uh, employer referred him, and that carpenter also worked for my employer. I worked for the two weeks, um, and he still owes me uh a few hundred dollars. I've contacted him. He kept making excuses that he had to get paid by some of his uh, contracts. And as soon as he did, he would pay me. But it's been over six months now and he hasn't paid me. I, I suggested he should because I would go to the labor board or, you know, even contact the carpenters union, contact. His, Are you in a uh, union? Sorry. Are you in a union? No, you're not. Okay, go on. Well, yeah, I was just about finished, and uh, my third recourse would be to contact his employers, the developer companies that he works for, and just, you know, to tell them that he uh, hasn't uh, paid his employee, and uh, that's the type of uh, contractor they're employing. It doesn't look good. Well, are you his employee? Hmm. If you work for him, for, if he's a contractor and you work for him for two weeks, it doesn't sound like you're employed. It sounds like you did a contract for two weeks. Well, yeah, no, exactly. No, but... Uh, so the, late the same... Employment Standards Act really wouldn't have jurisdiction because you're not employed. But if you want oh. to, if you look, if you want to create some mischief with him with his, um, with the contra contractor he's subcontracting to, that might be a reasonable recourse. They might put some heat on him to, or they might withhold the, whatever you're owed and pay it to you directly. I, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about the circumstances. Mm -hmm. That might be a possible strategy. It sounds like the threat isn't working. That brings me back. Thank you for your but, call. But, your, but the bigger issue may be the layoff from your primary employer, which, depending on the circumstances, might be a wrongful dismissal, not really hmm. a layoff. That's the issue I'd be more interested in because most employers don't legally have the right to lay off temporarily their, their employees. Hmm. They do in the construction industry, and maybe Stanley's in the construction industry, and in those circumstances, there are seasonal layoffs and layoffs while jobs are or are not occurring are common and part of essentially the implicit contract between the employer and the employee. But the average employee working for the average company cannot be laid off unless they've signed a contract permitting that, and that's extraordinarily rare. Brings us back full circle, though, ironically, to so your Stanley tip of the week. So Stanley may have a good wrongful dismissal case against 
this employer. Go ahead, Ian. And, and if you do, Stanley, uh, follow up with Howard's office, by the way. LevittLLP.com. But the real is issue is against things. his employer, not against this two-week carpenter. Right. And what it does is brings us full circle back to your tip of the week, which was be careful when, because he's talking about he's going to this place, he's going to the media, he's going to the carpenters union. Well, really, this is about a $200, $300 claim. But your tip of the week was be careful what you do and how you conduct yourself in situations like this, where you know you, you put the employers up against a wall where they're unable to I hear to you, do. but he doesn't seem to have a lot to lose. He's made yeah, the threat, fair. and that's the appro- appropriate avenue. It's not a long-standing employment relationship that he has to worry about. It's a, it's a contractor who employed him for, or engaged him for two weeks for a few hundred dollars. Uh, you make the threat, and then you should follow through on the threat. Do you want to do a 45-second answer? or do you... <laughs> Poor Mike. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry? About you wanna, Re- yeah, we've got one, we, we could take Rebecca if you can do it quickly. Let's find out, Rebecca. How can I help you? Hi, I just have a quick question. My husband, um, he had a hemorrhagic stroke at work. Oh, I'm sorry. It, yes, um, 45 years old, manufacturing environment, worked there 17 years. What's the question? Quick. Uh, sorry, they didn't uh, file WSAB claims. Should they have? Well, if it related to the workplace, yes. <laughs> and she should go to, he should go to WSAB himself at this point and file the claim. That was a good hour. If it's a WSAB claim. Thank you, sir. As always. That is just to relate to his employment, not merely be at work. He's internationally recognized as Canada's leader in the area of employment law and wrongful dismissal. Howard Levitt, the most experienced labor lawyer in Canada. If you'd like to reach his website, it is levittllp.com. And you can also give his office a call, 416-594-3900. I'm Ian Grant, back same time next week across the province.